Welcome to the Let's Eat Grandma Career Warrior Podcast. And welcome to the Let's See Grandma Career Warrior Podcast, where our goal is not only to help you land your dream job, but to help you live your best life. Today, we're going to talk about how to authentically market yourself as a job seeker. Why does authenticity matter, especially in, in an interview? And why are we marketing ourselves? We'll get into these things, which sound a little too deep, but I guarantee you that the depth of this episode will make you a happier professional and a better job seeker. You'll find jobs faster. You'll stay with those jobs because they're aligned with your values and those jobs will make you feel like a valued asset. Today, I brought on Emily Rezcala. Emily is a Toronto native residing in the beautiful Vancouver, Canada. After receiving a job offer from every interview she's completed in a variety of industries, she's decided to take her knowledge online in the form of content creation on TikTok. Emily's content, as well as her one-on-one coaching, has helped hundreds of thousands of people with their job search, interview prep, salary negotiations, resume writing, networking, and confidence. Oh my gosh. Emily has over 124,000 followers on TikTok with an average of 500 daily profile views on average and 100K average video views per day. You can find her on the platform at Coach Mrez. That's Coach E-M-R-E-Z. And I'll make sure to leave that within the description of this podcast as well. I spoke with Emily before recording this episode, and I can tell you that she has an amazing personality and she has a really good way of explaining the job search in a down-to-earth, fun, and empathetic way. So let's rock and launch right into episode 286 of the Career Warrior Podcast. Emily, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to just be here and chat with you more about just everything, job search, competence, career, all of it. Oh my gosh, and we are going to get into it. So the first question I was going to ask you was, what was it about your story that resonated with your job seeker following on TikTok? And I know we spoke a little bit about this, but how did you get into the space and really what was resonating and clicking with people as you started posting content? Honestly, I realized as my you know, content was growing, I kind of realized why. At first, I was a bit confused. I was like, oh, like this is common knowledge at least to me. And I realized that a lot of the content out there, which by the way, the internet's so oversaturated with information and, you know, advice, but it's oversaturated from a lot of HR experts and people who are, you know, in the bubble, right? Who are inside the HR world and are giving advice and giving very expert Mm -hmm. and technical advice. Whereas me, I think, I honestly think it's because a lot of people look at me and go, you look kind of like me. You sound kind of like me. That's me. Yeah. That's me. I could probably do it because I'm not really as technical. I do provide a lot of technical advice and steps and guides, but I tell stories at the same time from my experience. And whenever people hear it, they go, oh. I could have experienced that too. And they probably have. They just didn't boil it down into the tips and advice that I kind of broke it down for them and went, oh, I've done that. I can do that too. So I think a lot of people really just relate 
at the end yeah. of the day with me a bit more. And I love the types of questions that you're posing in your videos and like the types of things that you're making available for people because like these are the things that job seekers are actually wondering and we'll get into some of those questions during this episode here but i think it's really important to give out content from a form of place of empathy really because it's like these job seekers need to know these questions and so for you listeners i'm really excited to get into this episode because we'll make it real and perhaps emily will have questions for me i don't know she said she did before this episode so we'll see <laughs> But the first thing I do want to ask is I do want to dive into the interview and the art of the interview. And something that you mentioned previously was that we're, we're marketing ourselves really in interviews and we want to make sure we're doing it in an authentic way. And that can be tricky, I think, for a lot of people. So what do we mean when we say, first of all, marketing ourselves? I know that's a kind of a buzzword and catch all in many cases, but what do we mean when we say marketing ourselves and why is marketing ourselves in an interview important? Oh gosh. Well, first of all, marketing people relate to sales, right? Because you usually market a product or service and when they hear selling, think, ew, I don't like to be involved in consumerism or I don't like to sell, right? It just sounds inauthentic. But there are ways to kind of frame marketing in an authentic way. And the way I explain it to a lot of my coaching clients is that, like, for example, Chris, what is something that you bought recently that you've loved, that you like loved before you, when you saw it and you're like, I need to buy this and you bought it and you still love it? I mean, this is a service, so I don't know if you're looking for a product here, but I bought a mixing service for some of the music that I produce online and I partnered okay. with somebody to help mix my music. It was the third time I used the service and I was blown away for the third time in a row. Okay. So it's the third time you use the service. Like how long ago was the second time? How long ago? I would say it was three months ago. Three months ago. Okay. So the way I explain this to my clients and for example, you using this sound mixing service, it's likely that the sound mixing service was not, you know, marketed to you once before you bought it. You probably saw it and went, oh, I think I need that. I think I need it. I want it. Yes. I know I want it, but I don't yeah. know how badly I need it. And you realize how badly you need it and you want it when it keeps getting marketed to you, not in necessarily the same way always or from the same source, whether it's the internet, whether it's on television, ads on YouTube, wherever it's coming from. Yeah. Spotify, in my case, the, the ad, I received it a bunch of times. Exactly. So... It's likely that you don't buy a service the first time you see it. You usually do when it's been shown to you a few times, whether that's conscious or subconsciously, because some people don't realize they subconsciously see a product while they're scrolling, whether that's on Amazon, like the front page, you'll see an icon, but really you didn't click it. So how that relates to interviews is I tell my clients that you need to be intentional about your core themes and values throughout an interview okay. and be repetitive about it. Repeat, 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 ironically. And I think people get so caught up in the words that they want to say and, you know, overcomplicating it. But at the end of the day, if you just keep to a certain set of themes and values, whether that's, I'm a project manager, I'm an yes. innovator. Yeah. All of those themes or identifiers. They mention it once or at the beginning of their interview and they tell me about yourself, but then they're not 
consistently repeating it throughout strategically as well, because they get lost in the questions and the technicalities. And it's really uh, just being overcomplicated. And marketing yourself is about consistency and repetition. Because if you're consistent and you repeat things throughout the interview, the interviewer is more likely to remember it Yeah, as you and know that you believe that you are that theme or that value that you've just consistently repeated throughout the interview. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm thinking about like the, you know, I don't know how much this applies, but it's like the, I think like the marketing or sales rule of seven to like repeat something seven times before somebody feels like they're going to buy your product. But I guess I would ask, like, how many times should I repeat something in an interview? We only have like kind of a short amount of time with the interviewer. And how do I know what to repeat? You mentioned, I think values sounds good. But like, how do I really know what points I need to drive home to the interviewer over and over again? So there's a certain level like of adaptability that you need to have when you're going into the interview. You shouldn't be like, stubborn about I'm going to say it X amount of times. Um, you know, like I'm going to just plug it in. I'm like checking it off a little list. Yeah. You really need to connect with the interviewer about where they're driving the conversation. And really at the end of the day, an interview is just a conversation, Yeah. but yeah. Right. And the core themes and values, the number of times you mention it doesn't always have to be an emphasis. Like I am an innovator. It's like, no, you can say, and you know, I use my innovative skills to do this. Or, you know, for example, if you're a project manager, I used project management principles, X, Y, Z throughout this project. And you just kind of use similar language. People tend to kind of get really deep in the depths of, you know, instead of saying you problem solved, you say, you know, I mitigated an issue. And it's like, what do you mean you mitigated an issue or mm -hmm. a problem or you filtered through your priorities? Like, what do you mean you filtered through? What exactly did you do when you went through right. your priorities? So right. you project managed all of the priorities you had and using the specific technical language within project management. So when I say core themes and values, I'm not saying repeat those specific words literally. It's important to do that occasionally, but there are a subset of words that go within each core theme and value. Being innovative means that you are, you know, adaptive. It means that you are a critical thinker, you're a problem solver. So identifying those words and creating subsets within them too might help as long as they're simple and not overcomplicated. I love it. That makes sense. So a good segue here. How do we answer the question, which is often the first question of an interview, tell me about yourself. This is, I think, one that a lot of people see as a loaded question. I'm not, not exactly sure how people answer it these days, but how should we answer this question? So this might sound silly, but I'm going to answer your question with a few other questions. And that is, well, how do you answer it? Do you ask who you are? Do you ask to yourself, why are you qualified? Or, you know, why do you want this job? Because you wonder, the interviewer might ask me these questions later on, like, why do you want this role? Why do you want to work here? I shouldn't include that in my question. But the point of the tell me about yourself is they want to see how you approach it. They want to see how um, unique you are. I think people get really lost in 
wanting to meet expectations, right? And fitting a mold, which is completely contradictory to the whole tell me about yourself. They want to see why you're different than the next person, right? Yeah. And because it's the first question they ask, they literally give you the driver's seat in immediately to do that. They don't wait for them to give you an opportunity later. So the tell me about yourself, don't, do you ever find that when people ask you that, that you get like an existential crisis, like right there and then? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. every happens all the time. Even in parties, I'm like, who am I? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and context is so important. My musician and my podcast goes, yeah. No, it, it's exactly. It's You said you're at a party. Like context is so important. It's like who you're talking to is so important. What do you want them to think you are? And I don't advise my like clients or even my community on, on socials to think that way, to think, oh, what do I want them to think I am or believe uh, I am? It's like, no, you need to have a set of, you know, themes and values that are consistent throughout. You can just pick and choose from those themes and values, a set of which one you want to highlight or showcase and emphasize based on your audience. I'll give you an example. My set of values is I obviously authenticity. I like to be innovative. I am patient. Patience is a new one for me this year. And another one is communication. So when you're in a party, for example, versus an interview, which one do I feel like, you know, talking about more? Well, I also forgot to mention that I want to be more creative and outgoing. So I would mention that at a party versus if I was applying to a data analyst job, I would mention that I'm more focused on yes. patience because I'm detail oriented and I am, you know, authentically connecting with my teammates. All of that stuff is very relative to who your audience is. So my first answer to the question of how to answer, tell me about yourself is, well, who are you talking to first? Mm -hmm. Who are you talking to? Who's the company? Who's the interviewer? Then who are you based on that? And I'm not asking you to conform or mold, but I'm asking you to just pick and choose which value you want to emphasize the most that aligns well with them. And then people forget to mention who they are as a human in this answer. A lot of the time, everyone gets so lost in the what your qualifications are, which you should mention. Right. Yeah, right? The common theme is I'm a researcher, I have X amount of years experience, and I've done, you know, these projects. And then they go into, you know, why they want the role. Well, I don't know, like, what's the difference between you and the next person? I, yeah. You just kind of told me your resume. You're hiring a person at the end of the day, right? I mean, that you have to work with other people. So that stuff matters. It does. And also, you're not showing me your capabilities, because really, mm -hmm. you're just doing what the next person can do. They could also, you know, highlight their portfolio. Yeah. But yeah, anyone can do that. What not everyone can do is mention what they are outside of work. So I always advise people to slide in somewhere, you know, not in the very beginning, but slide in the who you are part of, you know, my colleagues know me as the glue. I'm the glue of the team. I really bring everyone together to bring ideas. And I'm always like just coordinating everything amongst the projects. And then I also outside of work, love to snowboard. I love to go to check out new coffee shops and travel. And then you move on. It doesn't need to be a big deal. 
but it's important to mention because it shows that you have passions outside of work and people like to see that because it becomes a connector which yeah. is really important to the interview because they, they'll peek they'll go oh i like to ski that means they're, they <laughs> they do those things they're just picturing themselves connecting with you subconsciously it's it, yeah it's strategic but it's also humanizing humanizing thank you for using that word it makes so much sense to me because like this episode is about authentically marketing yourself and so much of what you said in the last few minutes are about authenticity and being who you are and not just being who you are just because it feels good to say that like oh i'm, I'm being myself but using those as an advantage when you are applying for jobs because there are certain things that you have that are going to make you a different than the other person and a better candidate at the end of the day. So it's it's about figuring out what those things are and just being honest about them, I think. And I will say just like the resume, it's really hard to do this. You know, where I have a resume writing service and usually I don't advocate for showcasing personal interests and hobbies and things like that on the resume usually. But in an interview, it's a little bit different in that we have that chance to showcase a little bit more of who we actually are. So I love delving into these things. I think everything you've said is excellent. Yeah, I agree. I wouldn't put it on a resume. And I also wouldn't mention it in any other question other than to tell me about yourself. And it, that's really, it's just an opportunity to, yeah. again, like you said, be authentic and not have to fit a mold of like what the structure of the answer needs to be. So tell me about tone of voice. That's a really interesting one. I don't think about my tone of voice very much. I think I probably should. But why does this matter in an interview? And any tips here? Yeah. I mean, the story behind why I found out tone of voice was so important was because I started working at a boutique consulting firm and they asked me to do like the call voice. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. if you'd like to speak to Emily, please dial one. You know, ah. that. Yeah. I like that a lot. You know, I did that for a hotel one time, but that was like 10 years ago. So got that in common. Yeah. I mean, it's not on the resume, but it's, you know, <laughs> it's in the repository of, you know, little things that I've done <laughs> throughout my like career growth. And so what was funny about that scenario is because it was a startup, you kind of do, you know, all those different things. You're not stuck to one role. I spent an hour doing it because I didn't know how to do it. And then I finished it and gave it to my boss. And he went, that, what? This is not, this is, no, do it again. Go back, do it again. <laughs> he didn't even tell me how to do it again. He oh, kind of no. just sent me back. Yes, he sent me back. He's like, nope, you need to fix it. And I said, how? It's like, nope, doesn't sound professional enough. And I'm like, okay. So I go back, I do it again. And I, and I bring it for a second time. And he goes, no, it doesn't sound professional enough. And I'm like, okay, like, well, can you give me some advice on how to fix it? And he says, okay, yes, because I can tell you're getting better in it, but this is what you need to do. You're ending your sentences on a high note mm -hmm. and it sounds mm -hmm. very like, you know, it sounds too young. It sounds too unprofessional and casual. It sounds like a question. There's so many parts to tone. And he really gave me like a yeah. tone 101 class yeah. just for this one task. Yeah. So tone of voice, that's kind of where my experience started with that. And I did more research in that. I'm a researcher at heart. So when this happened, I'm like, oh, what? This is, sounds so important in the consulting world. And I guess in my career, I need to kind of take this seriously. 
So I call it the customer service voice. You know, the customer service voice. And it's like, hi, can I help you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we all tap into it at some point. It's like when you go to grab, you know, dinner somewhere and the server yes. kind of has it yeah. and you adapt to it. You're like, yeah, that's great. Thank you. You know, <laughs> you adapt to it. And what we're trying to avoid is that really. It's called uptalk. And there are a few things you also need to avoid, but uptalk is the most common, especially okay. amongst women. So inflections at the end of your voice is what specific to the technical thing that's happening. The technical is the yeah influx of your voice going high, like in a higher tone. Sounds like a question almost. It usually always does. And it's really giving not a confident and impactful answer. And there are also, you know, issues with monotone. People can be monotone, but up talk or the customer service voice, if we want to just simplify it, is most common amongst women and it's avoidable. I use it all the time in my videos. I'm trying my best to do it now. And the ways to avoid it, like, do you find yourself doing up talk or customer service voice by accident when you get excited about something? Yeah, I think when I'm excited about something, I thankfully I've worked on that. I think I used to be really bad at that back back in the day. But I think I'm more likely to be monotone than having that like upward inflection. So yeah, now I have to think about my tone of voice now a little bit extra here. This is really good. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good for right now, especially since we're here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but yours is great. I have no notes. I just know that everyone eventually when they get super excited about something it does shine sometimes. Yeah, especially me. What are some of the, the other things that people are doing like with tone of voice that can be improved? Yeah. So the reason why tone of voice happens is because of a few things that could be avoided. And the first thing is your breathing. And that, ha like when you don't have control over your breathing, so many problems happen. Your nervous system starts to get, you know, agitated. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so first that. And then you start to speak faster because you're running out of breath. Your tone of voice goes higher. And all of those things that are happening kind of cycle, like they circle together and create this, you know, consequential flow where they all impact each other and you just get stuck in it. You just get stuck into that flow because you're nervous. You're going to, you know, breathe less or, you know, not as frequently and you're going to speak faster. And because you're not pausing, it all just kind of endless cycle. And really at the end of the day, I find that the baseline is breathing yeah. and pausing, breathing yes. and pausing. You control your tone of voice. You control your pace. You control your thoughts and intention while you're speaking when you pause. Mm -hmm. People hate silence. <laughs> <laughs> People don't like it. I agree. But I think, first of all, just I took like a conscious breath as soon as you said breathing is so important something i have to remind myself to do but whenever i do it i find that the thoughts come so much more smoothly whenever there is that breath there and whenever i am taking pauses and it's it's really the same for interviews i mean if you're at an interview and especially if you feel we talked about nerves if you're running high on nerves one of the best things you can do to physiologically control how you're coming across and how to actually do even better 
is to take advantage of breath and pauses too. I know a lot of people feel uncomfortable with pauses, but I think those go hand in hand in showcasing confidence and letting it come out more authentically and more smoothly. So, so glad you mentioned that. That also kills all the ums and uhs and all of those, you know, buffer words that we all don't like to say because we're uncomfortable with silence. Yeah, I love it. Okay. So I think we've covered a lot in regards to the interview. I'm going to ask you a little bit about job seeker mindset in a second here and one of the themes, but I wanted to interject just a quick question before we get into that. It's what's this concept of flair? I think you wrote about it in one of your pieces of content or something, but just I want to hear about that and drawing from your past experience in the service industry. Yeah. Oh, I I love talking about flair. And it's actually a new concept that I didn't start with in my coaching. It kind of just, you know, evolved. And basically flair, flair is when you, you know, walk into the bar or a restaurant and you see the bartenders, you know, throwing around the shakers, tossing, you know, glasses, doing fancy pours, fire, all of that fancy stuff, smoke, that's all flair. The juggling, that's like the, probably the most common when you see flair. And how I relate this, and I bring this up because like you said, my past experience, I used to bartend and flair was just a person's way of making a drink exciting. And making a drink isn't exciting as much for the bartender. It's just, you know, pouring ingredients <laughs> together and flair is what makes it fun. So you know, the fanciest drink I probably had was something that was like poured in one hand and it stayed in the cup and they like threw it across the room and they didn't need to do any of this stuff. <laughs> You're like, that's extra. <laughs> none of it makes the drink taste better. Like yeah. none of it needs to like really happen for me to enjoy the drink once I get it. Yeah. Right? Like it's not really a part of the ingredient list. So flair is cool because the interviewer, so pretend the interviewer knows what drink they want. The drink is your answer, right? They want, or you even, if you want to make it you know, more conceptual, they know what drink they want. They know exactly what they were looking for. They have the set of criteria, the ingredient list, and they're going to get several drinks that look the same. But how the drink is served up and who you are or how the answer is served up is what I like to call flair. And really, it's just a concept of you're giving the interviewer what they want, but more without actually, you know, being inauthentic, because you're not putting fake ingredients in the drink. That's not what you're doing. You're just presenting the ingredients. And you're just presenting how you're making the drink in a more fun way that showcases your personality and creativity, and your, you know, uniqueness. So that really like that's kind of how I conceptualize that mindset. With I love Claire. it. So and oh my gosh, I feel like I could go into this in a second. But I wanted to make sure we could get enough time for the last question here. But like, just practically speaking here, how do I showcase flair? I'm kind of a showman myself. So this excites me. I did theater in high school way back cool, when. Okay. But yeah, how can I, I guess, show off some of those personality? I'm not like quirks or ticks, but like, what is it exactly that I'm doing during an interview? So I would probably say, look at the structure of the answer that everyone thinks you need to do. So for example, star, mm-hmm. you know, if you mm-hmm. know, star is situation, task, action, result for those listening, and it's a way to answer behavior-based questions. 
and people think, oh, I need to just stick with that. It's like, no, here's how I kind of add my own flair. I do star, but then what I do is I add a little bit more at the end. And what I add is a reflection and a summary, but I do it in my own way. And, it's, and I mentioned like, yeah. this is how I reflected from that scenario. And people don't really talk about how they reflected. And you mentioned empathizing and being authentic. I reflect on past experiences, whether they went well or where they didn't go well. Yes. Because I'm always looking to improve. Yes. So even if it went well, I go, I reflected back and I actually think I could have done it better and done uh-huh. it this way. Which people don't normally say. People normally don't do these things. So you're standing out, you're being creative all in one. Exactly. And then summarizing it at the end, which people don't do, they leave it to the interviewer to do the work to break down your answer. When if you do it for them, if you just summarize, and there are ways people think that it's, I say people think it is difficult. It is difficult. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. But if you put in the work to summarize your answer in one sentence, saying, this is a scenario, my task was to do this, and these are the actions that I took to get this result, I reflected so much on how I could have improved. And I am looking forward to being the same situation and applying those new goals. And that's one sentence. And you summarized it for them at the end, and they're left with the answer, even if they got lost in it. Love it. That's so powerful and something that's never been expressed on this podcast before. So thank you for your flair, Emily. No worries. <laughs> so you like that. I am going to wrap it up here with probably our deepest question here, which is job seeker mindset. And I think it's something that's so important because this transition for a lot of people who are going through the job search, find it challenging. It's stressful. And usually it's being done on top of, not usually, but in many cases, it's being done on top of other things that we have to do in life. We have to take care of a family member. We're getting married. We're doing another job that's stressful that we want to get out of. So the job search can be so tough. So what would you give a job seeker right now? What type of advice would you give that person who is going through their job search and needs to look at their mindset a certain way. What advice do you have for mindset? Mindset is so important to take action. If you don't believe you can do something, you, you know, procrastinate. Like that's usually the the action that follows that mindset. And really, I would probably tell the audience that if you want to have a good mindset for, you know, job search and even if you have all a bunch of things happening, whether it's life events or you have a full-time job, I would say that there is always going to be someone more experienced than you. There's always going to be someone smarter than you. And there's always going to be someone who is questioning your abilities. Always. True. However, are they more persistent? Are they more, you know having a growth mindset. And when I say persistence and a growth mindset, I mean also resilient. Some people have egos where something like they get a rejection and they take a break for a month because they're just like, they're shot. They're, I don't want to do this. It's been a month. It's a shame. It is a shame. And the thing is, is that the turnaround time for some people, it can be quicker for others. And the mindset to me is that There will always, whether it's a month later, whether it's a week later that you get back on the horse, there will always be someone more experienced than you. And the job market is always like, no matter when people say it's, it's getting better. It's, it's always kind of difficult 
and it sometimes True. gets worse, True. but it's never great, I would say. True. <laughs> so I think going into it with, I'm not going to be the smartest, I'm not going to be the most experienced, but hey, I'm going to be the most persistent. I'm going to give myself a boundary of a week anytime I get a rejection to apply, which I think is long when you're really aiming for a new job. But if you're kind of casually looking, give yourself like three days of just, you know, chilling. But it's hard. It's really hard on your ego. And especially when you've been doing it for months, months, yeah. and months, even a year. And there are ways to navigate around that. But that might be another podcast. Yeah, I love what you said. Because yes, we may not be the most talented person in the room or the most experienced or whatever like a lot of us have these things we feel insecure about when it, we're out there applying for jobs because it's vulnerable right it's like oh i'm putting myself to the test again even though i have sort of put like an, a built an identity around everything i've done over like the last few years so if i get rejected that means i must suck right i must not be worthy right which is the lie i think a lot of us are telling ourselves as we are out there applying for jobs and I know for many of us who have not had a good work experience, maybe we've been laid off, we may feel like that extra sense of rejection, like, what the heck am I doing right now? You might have like that sense of identity crisis. So is there a point to where I look to what I'm doing? And I might say, I wouldn't say give up. I'm not saying like where I should give mm -hmm. up, but maybe pivot or look at my strategy and change something in order to improve the job search. Is there ever that point where I should change or is it more of a just keep going until I get what I want kind of thing? You can keep going but not grow if you're not thinking of new ways to adapt. So if you're not constantly looking back and going, what could I have done different or getting feedback? The worst case is they don't give you feedback and say, hey, someone was just more experienced. You were great. I would have hired you if this person didn't come along. The key here is, is to maintain those networks. I think the most important part of a job search is having an accountability person, whether that's a mentor, whether mm -hmm. that's a parent, whether that's a sibling, I like that. having someone, yes, all like me, I have a mentor. And when they tell me that, yes, I've experienced this, I've been rejected this many times and I see they're a C-suite level executive, I'm like, okay, maybe <laughs> it's all going to be okay. <laughs> Having someone to push you that you admire, basically relating to you that they've experienced this and maybe give you some ways to navigate it, hopefully in a way that you can understand because you know them, they're your friend or your mentor and they know what you need. I love it. I'll ask my famous tattoo question in a second here, but first... How can listeners get in touch with you and again, drive it home with your TikTok and what are the types of things you post? How often do you post? I want to hear it all. Okay. <laughs> all of it, huh? So I'm currently on TikTok and Instagram. TikTok, like you mentioned, my handle is Coach M Rez. And then on Instagram, it's the same except with a, a period in between Coach and M Rez. So Coach.MRez. I don't know why I, I made that little tweet, but why not? Jazz it up. So as frequency for my posts, I post probably around once every other day, just because I do have a full-time job and I leverage those experiences in the corporate world to give you guys advice. So that's how frequent. And I have a coaching service. I've helped more than 40 people in 2022 with landing jobs. And I have products and services that can help you with your interviews on my links and my socials. So they can find it there. Hopefully in the future, there'll be a website that they can click 
who knows? We'll see. <laughs> awesome. Well, I do appreciate everything you do. And for your listeners, I'll make sure to link that within the description of this podcast. So Emily, if you could tattoo one piece of advice for every career warrior out there, what piece of advice would that be? I live by this phrase. So I think it inspires me, uh, ironically. I would tell your audience to aspire to inspire. So authenticity comes from selflessness. If you're always trying to get something out of someone, it's inauthentic. So always aspire to inspire others and inspire yourself. Don't try and always get something out of people. Try and impact others or influence others. So aspire to inspire is what I would tattoo on myself or other. Or did you say on the audience? Uh, yeah. Am I yeah, you're tattooing <laughs> the audience. It's going to be very painful, but that's good. I love how short it is. I love that. Yes. That's the point, right? I love that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And it inspires me, too, because I think we forget sometimes, too. We're like we especially, you know, career warriors, we're marketing to people typically who are very ambitious. So we outcome dependent sometimes. I know at least I am. But I think it makes you less outcome dependent in that you're trying to go out there and do good and help other people. So you just you can't lose if you're really doing that, if you're really going and putting your foot forward to help other people not just yourself. So I think that's a great way to, to end. So thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. This was such a great conversation. Awesome. Emily, will you take care and you enjoy the rest of your day? This is a really fun episode. Uh, I'll see you next time. All right, listeners, this wraps up episode 286 of the Let's See Grandma Career Warrior podcast. Really enjoyed doing this one. It's about being authentic. So we went very deep into this one and discussed not only interviews, but mindset. So if you found any of this stuff to be useful or relevant, make sure to connect with both Emily and myself on LinkedIn. Let us know what you enjoyed about this episode. And of course, make sure to subscribe. And I can't wait to see you next time. This was a really fun episode. And go out and be warriors. Career Warrior Podcast. And before you go, remember, if you're not seeing the results you want in your job search, our highly trained team of professional resume writers here at Let's Eat Grandma can help. Head on over to letseatgrandma.com forward slash podcast to get a free resume critique and $70 off any one of our resume writing packages. We talk all the time on the show about the importance of being targeted in your job search. And with our unique writing process and focus on individual attention, you'll get a resume, cover letter, and LinkedIn profile that are highly customized and tailored to your goals to help you get hired faster. Again, head on over to letseatgrandma.com forward slash podcast. Thanks, and I'll see you next time.